0: hello everyone this is travis from piebald and you are listening to the new scene
1: hello everybody and welcome to the new scene this is keith and tommy and we're back with another brand new episode. Did you think Did you think another week was going to go by and we weren't going to be here? Is that what you thought? We never miss. We never miss. Even when we miss, we don't
0: miss. Yeah, that's actually true. That's a great point.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And we're back with a brand new episode on tonight's show. Arturo Barrios of Audio Karate. Audio Karate are a band on iodine recordings. They've got a new record, Otra, which is a collection of rare and unreleased material. We have spoken to Arturo, and we are going to bring you the conversation now. Here's a sneak preview. Here's a little sneak preview. He was a real pleasure to talk to, and there's great stories in this one boom, I'm leaving it right there. See, Tommy, I feel like uh, I, I I get scared about giving away too much of the conversation before we play it. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, you don't want to bury the lead. The good stuff's in the middle. Let's go. Uh, here's the other thing. They're the number three seller on Deathwish right now. Really? They are the number three seller for January. I just looked at it because I remember seeing it before and I was like, let me just double check it real quick. And they are the number three seller right behind. Well, let's not mention other stuff. <laughs> they're they're let's, let's just put it this way they're fucking rad, and they're doing really well selling this, so go buy Otra
1: yes, happy to be on the label with them, so that conversation's coming to you momentarily, and folks, let us remind you let us persistently remind you that we are now in week five of the new scene charity drive, and we need your support, and this is what we want you to do. number one, give us Apple podcast reviews and Spotify reviews. Now, I have checked the other podcasts, and they have hundreds, hundreds of reviews. Now, why would you deny us hundreds of reviews? Do do you not like us? Is this not working out? Are you going to end the relationship? Are you seeing somebody else? I mean, come on. Give it to us. All you got to do is open up the app and scroll down and give us a five-star review. If you want to write one, we'll read it on the air. If you don't, just give us the five stars. Right? Right, Tommy?
0: A hundred percent. And you guys don't know how much it really helps us. It gets us in terms of availability. More people see us. It's just, it's, it's all around great for us. And it takes like two seconds of your time.
1: Exactly. And you know what? We need it. We need it and we want it. And we do thank everybody who has submitted reviews so far. We're going to read another one at the end of the show. Thank you very much to everyone who is participating. And look, we're going to keep asking until we get over 100.
0: I don't care if it takes five years. We're going to do it. Oh, I don't give a shit. Even when we get a hundred, I'll still fucking ask. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not stopping. Like if it helps the show get spread, that's all I want. Like that's I just want more people to hear it. And then, you know, you can make your decision then. You like it, don't like it, but it, at least get it in more people's hands and just the best thing you can do for us is give us five stars and then walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> So
1: there's the reviews. We have a shirt available for purchase now. The Life is Music is Life long sleeve. Super sexy, very attractive, high fashion item, new scene podcast shirt. It is available in the Iodine Records Death Wish store. Go to Deathwish Inc. Search the new scene. You'll see the shirt. It's there. Buy it now. It is available for purchase. It is shipping soon, so get yours now while supplies last and i have set up a link tree for us for the new scene it's in our social media bios it's all the links for everything right there convenient for you apple podcast spotify twitch the shirt our playlists everything all you got to do is tap the screen you just tap and go right to the links i made it very simple for you so help us out we need your support
0: i agree i i always like that when i see someone especially something that makes ease like in terms of ease of use if something's hard to use especially online are i'm so finicky with stuff it's like if it doesn't work the first time or it doesn't take me to exactly where i'm supposed i'm just like all right that's enough exactly i try to make it as easy as possible for everybody like tommy do you
1: ever see when people can't use instagram at all and they just paste a link into the instagram message and you can't even click on it
0: oh yeah i do that's one of those things that i i noticed a while ago was i i wish comments were clickable because people would put something as a link to something else and then i'm like oh i gotta copy and paste this and put it. get the fuck out of here and i can't even copy it from instagram like it's oh. like i'm i'm just never gonna see that
1: link I'm, never, I'm not going to go in on my web and copy and paste it. I'm not going to type it. I'm, it's just never going to happen.
0: You just wasted your time. Sorry. You
1: wasted your time and you wasted our time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds
0: aggressive, but okay.
1: <laughs> I'm just having fun with our dear listeners. Okay, so listen, here's, here's what else you can do. Support Iodine Recordings, our sponsor, great label, great bands. They just signed a new band, Tommy. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. They have signed a new band. And the new band is. Hey, thanks. A new indie pop band from New Orleans. The Start Living LP, which will be coming out on Iodine Recordings, is available now for pre-order. I really like this band. It has, a, it has an emo sound, but it's almost more pop than emo. It's like a great mix of the two. The single, From Me To You, is streaming right now. I listen to it.
0: I love it. I highly recommend checking it out. I've actually heard this band before. <laughs> like, this is one of those ones I've heard, and I can go, uh, do you do you remember that band from a long time ago called Ultimate Fake Book? It reminded me a lot when I heard it uh, of Ultimate Fake Book. So it's that idea of, it, it's super poppy, catchy, but at the same time has that kind of... Uh, something to write home about kind of aesthetic kind of feel it's it's good i like it
1: yeah it's like almost more in the pop realm but that makes me like it more because it's not just another emo sounding band
0: yeah i feel like i've uh kind of i've plumbed the well as far as that's going to go with some of those things i hear certain things that sound very similar to other things and i go uh okay this is nice it's new and it's fresh and anything that has that kind of poppy thing. I I just, as a parent, I love being able to play music in front of my kids. So that's also a huge plus for me.
1: Absolutely. And Smoke or Fire have got a record coming out on Iodine. The Beauty Fades LP is available now for pre-order. And this includes their out-of-print Workers Union EP, plus some other unreleased tracks. The new single Beauty Fades Is streaming now. All this stuff is remastered. It's going to be re released on iodine in beautiful new packaging. Love the band. It's got that classic melodic pop punk style. I like a lot of that stuff. I really like what Smoke or Fire is doing. Can't wait to hear the rest.
0: Anything that's like out of print is nice that when people read, you know, like when there's other. When the material gets re-released and then they also add some other unreleased stuff, it really kind of gets me in the feel of like, okay, so what's this band all about? So I'm definitely going to check out the single and then start listening to it tomorrow.
1: That's right. And folks, we've got a bonus show dropping this Wednesday, March 9th at 9 a.m. Eastern. Ooh, if you've seen our social media story, you know it's our two-year anniversary. And we will be celebrating with Dana Bolin of Two Week Notice Podcast. And he's also the official tour manager and live hype man for Piebold. So we're very excited to speak to him. Uh, More on that in segment three, because right now we are going to speak to Arturo Barrios of Audio Karate. Enjoy. Right, folks, we're here now with Arturo Barrios. Arturo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me guys. Absolutely, it's wonderful to have you here. Uh, so Arturo, tell us about your day. How are you doing today?
2: I am uh, doing pretty good. Uh, we actually um, had to cancel our original podcast date because I was going through COVID. So feeling a lot better than I was two weeks ago. Uh, oh, my dog's barking, sorry. The worst. The worst of it is out of my system. So, uh, yeah, feeling pretty good, all things considering,
1: yeah, I'm glad you got through it. Tell us about the covid experience what how bad was it
2: it was It was overall not bad, considering like all the stories that I've heard. My initial symptoms were on par with like a cold, um so you know the sniffles, a little bit of body aches, sneezing, cough, nothing too crazy, and then about five or six days after that. I kind of thought it was done. I'm like, well, I, I think I just got off easy. Like that wasn't too bad. And then um, around day six, I started noticing, like I started to try to test myself. Like, let me go take my, take, like, my dog for a walk. And I came back and had really bad chest pains just from like a, a light walk. And then I started noticing that like what I was smelling had completely changed. So it wasn't that I lost my sense of smell. It was what I was smelling had completely changed. So for instance, hot sauce smelled like ammonium, like literally like poison. Ooh, no. And anything that was charred, which I usually like, like if I'm, whatever, grilling bread or whatever, and it's got a little bit of char, that's all right to me. But anything charred or burnt smelled really intense, like a forest <sighs> fire was in my nose. Ugh. Wow. So that that went away probably over the weekend. Like by like Sunday, I, my nose was back to normal and my energy was back. So since like Monday, I've been 100%. Oh,
1: excellent. Yeah. So no lingering symptoms still?
2: No, no, no. Yeah, I'm like back to exercising and back to smelling, you know, Tabasco normally. So everything is like cool now.
1: Yeah, if I couldn't smell hot sauce as it is anymore, that would be a big problem for me. Yeah, I love
2: it. Yeah, I was like pouring it on and then I was like, hey, you know, babe, remind me, we need to buy more Tabasco. She's like, what are you talking about? Well, this was bad. I didn't know Tabasco could go bad, but apparently it can. She's like, this is perfectly fine. What are you talking about? I'm like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. And I'm like, oh my God, this smells like yeah this smells like turpentine, like this is crazy, and that was kind of the beginning of that. uh, so let's get to know you a bit, Arturo. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Rosemeat, California, which is basically east l a it's 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 I refer to it kind of as a suburb of Pasadena, so you know approximately ten miles east of of downtown uh Los Angeles, pretty much born and raised in that area, and then kind of moved a little farther east into what's called like the Inland Empire in California with my family. And since then I've kind of just, you know, been in and around different parts of Southern California. And I currently reside in Orange County, California, specifically South Orange County, which is kind of the well-to-do area. So I feel a little out of place, um, (laughs) but it's really nice. And it's really clean. So, uh, I feel a little bit of uh, guilt living here, but I can't complain.
1: Nice. What's your family set up? We you know you have a dog. You got a wife, too?
2: Um, yeah, I've been I'm married. I've been married for going on three years now. And uh, no, sorry, two years. She's going to actually kill me. <laughs> we, we, it's, uh, COVID's made everything a blur. Yeah, we actually got married right before COVID. So yeah, I've been married for about two years, and we got a dog, and uh, that's it. Yeah. So tell us about growing up. What was the landscape like in Rosemead? Rosemead was pretty interesting. It wasn't so much Rosemead. It was so Rosemead again is a is a pretty to this day is is a pretty standard normal suburb by all accounts. As you move into different parts of the San Gabriel Valley, which is again where I grew up, you start to move and look at some kind of rougher cities. At least back then, um, I won't name any city specifically, but there was some rough parts uh, around, and those cities. At some point, like, when I started to get into, like, punk rock, like, proper, had, like, punk shows. And these were not, I mean, these were, like, backyard shows, but they were pretty rough. I mean, you, it's, like, a documentary should basically be made about this, like, scene that was, like, coming up around us. And not, like, a cool, like, romanticized documentary, like, kind of, like, an introspective like crimes were committed, drugs were dealt, <laughs> people were stabbed. And in all of that craziness, like bands emerged from that. And that's where we like cut our teeth. And we were kids. We were like 14-year-old kids. Mind you, we're going to parties with full-on grown, like, grown adults, like 20-year-olds. And we were these little kids. I think in retrospect, that's probably why we got cut some slack and nobody really fucked with us. Because it was obvious that we were little. And I was little for my age as it was. Um, but yeah, it was just gnarly scene of, of just punk bands playing every weekend in these kind of dodgy parts of the city. In retrospect, I don't know who these renters or homeowners were allowing these parties to continue because they always got broken up. Someone always got hurt or stabbed. Uh, it was just insane. But I think it kind of made us the band that that we ended up becoming because I think it, it gave us kind of a grit and kind of a toughness. Like, hey, if, if we're going to get our asses kicked if we suck. So we better bring it. Yeah. So that, that was basically how I cut my teeth in the music scene.
1: Wow. So this scene sounds incredible. It sounds kind of like
0: ours, Tommy, back in the day. You know, the the danger element. Yeah. The danger factor is uh, that's comparable. Uh, however, uh, the um, you mentioned the word stabbing a handful of times. <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody really. I, I mean, I know a couple of people got cut up pretty good, usually box cutters and stuff like that, though. But um Those were few and far between. It was just like the swarm beatings. Like that was like, it was like five
2: on one, one person just getting the shit kicked out of them by a group of guys. So the thing that was interesting about these parties, so there was this group. um, Now, mind you, this was a a pretty heavily like Chicano, like Latino uh, neighborhoods. Um, So there was these these group of guys that we, they were called raza skinheads. In other words, like they were, they were Chicanos, like Mexican guys but they were punk rockers. They looked like skinheads. They looked kind of like Nazi punk skinheads, like with the whole, you know, the jackets with the Dead Kennedys patches and everything. But they were basically like gangsters, like cholos. And in a way, they sort of were like the security. They were like the enforcers at the shows. They would show up in large droves. And if you got out of line, they were the first to like tell you that you were out of line and, and they didn't, they didn't exactly tell you, you know what I mean? They, they showed it. Um, <laughs> So a lot of, a lot of sort of that, the chaos from those shows came from, from these guys. Cause you know, you, you respected them. You certainly weren't going to get in their way, but they would tell you if you got out of line. And we saw a lot of that. That's interesting. Around what year was this? This would have been, I, I'm curious as to when the scene started. Cause again, when I, at some point when I got into punk rock, it was already kind of there. And it was, it was like this burgeoning thing. But the height of it had to have been right around that time. So I'm, it was about mid-90s, so probably 93 through like 97, 98.
1: And who were some of the leading bands or bands that people looked up to? Because I find this interesting because, you know, we talk to like a lot of white suburban guys. So the idea of this Chicano, Latino, punk rock, dangerous world of punk rock. Is very interesting to me.
2: I think Vans did a documentary uh, not too long ago. I want to say like ten years ago about uh, like a, a similar scene coming out of L.A. where there's like these just pop up punk shows. And when I was seeing the documentary, I'm like this reminds me so much of the scene that I grew up in. So there's different examples of it. I, I think it's a uniquely Southern California thing. There was a bunch of bands that I always like thought. Oh, my, I mean, to me, they were the greatest thing ever. Like I was like, oh my god, like these bands are amazing. In retrospect, they were. But um, I don't know that any bands specifically from that era outside of us ever really like ended up signing to like a record label and, and touring and kind of going full band uh, in that way. There were bands that were bigger that would kind of play in those, in those scenes. Cause I, they, they were like, you know, they were built in shows you go and 400 people were there um, off the top of my head. I can't quite remember anyone. It was like bands that were like on fearless records. Like I think like white caps used to play a lot of shows. Uh, Naked aggression would play those shows. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't anyone super huge that like came out of that. Um, Like I said, in retrospect, I think we might've been one of the few, if only bands that ended up actually getting signed to like a record label and made it like a thing.
1: So did you ever get into any trouble going to these shows?
2: (laughs) No. Again, I think luckily to, the fact that we were so small that we were all 14 and most of the people there were either teenagers, like in their 70, 17, 18, or just full on adults, I think people took it easy on us. And eventually, again, like you got to, you had to kind of get in with security again, these Rasa skinheads. And at some point by like the second or third show, we'd show up and they're like, Hey, you guys are the ones doing all those Screeching Weasel covers. Like, you guys are cool. And I was like, All right, good. We're We're cool with them. Like, they don't, they're not going to, they're not going to beat us up. <laughs>
1: So you're already playing at this point.
2: Yeah, like this was this was like you know at some point someone's like, hey, you guys want to play? You know, the, our backyard show. It's Saturday. And we're like, sure. And all of a sudden, there's it's just packed. It's like everybody from our high school and all the neighboring high schools and everybody from around is there, and it's just this built-in scene. And everybody knew when there was a weekend show, that's where you went. Like you you went to these parties, and it was you were it was going to get broken up. Or yeah, someone was going to get beat up. Something was going to happen. Like it was where you had to be in kind of the worst way.
1: So you're playing these shows uh, as a young high school kid. Mm-hmm. Are you playing with uh, your future audio karate bandmates, or did you not get there yet? Oh
2: so, yeah, it was the early inception of audio karate. So at the t- so our drummer Gabe and our bass player Husto are like childhood friends. They've been going to school since they were in kindergarten, and I met them when I was in seventh grade. So by the time we were. All going together to to high school to Rosemead High, we that's when we first started playing together. So yeah, we weren't called Audio Karate, we had a different singer. We were called the Goons, which is a terrible band name. Um right. and um so yeah, so that was the early sort of incarnation of of Audio Karate. So
1: you're playing as the Goons, you're playing these shows. At what point did you did you do original stuff too, or were you just playing all covers?
2: It was yeah, it was kind of a little bit of both. We, we yeah, we were doing a lot of a lot of covers um, and then we would pepper in like original stuff. And then I think around that time we recorded our first demo and our demo had had gotten around and seemed to be like pretty well received. So it was kind of a mix of both. And who influenced you guys early on? I mean, it, it varies per band member. I mean, for me, my, my big kind of aha moment again, you know, dating myself, but being 40 years old for me, grunge was the big thing when I was 12. Like that was huge to me to hear, a band like Nirvana or, or Pearl Jam for the first time, it was just yeah, I'd never heard anything like it. I'd never heard music that I had connected to. I knew that there was I had an affinity and something drew me to music, but I just hadn't like linked onto it the way that I did when I when grunge broke. And then you know like like it, you know like it, it's so different now, but back then it was like your older brother or your older cousin who was your gateway, you know, your gatekeeper into punk rock. So you know we're. We're telling our cousins and our brothers, "Hey, did you, get, you guys, check out Nirvana." And they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, I remember when I had my first beer." And they're like, "Check this <laughs> out," and it was like, luckily, we had a cool mix of different people with different mixtapes. So, like, we had one brother who was more into like the '80s stuff that we had kind of weren't quite like at the right age. So, I'm talking about like like the like the Smiths and stuff like that. And then we had the other cool brother who actually went to like college and was getting into like what college radio was. So it wasn't just kind of cool punk rock, like buzzcocks and descendants. It was also really cool Midwest stuff that I had heard for the first time, like replacements and like Husker do. So we, we, those mixtapes in retrospect were like gold. You know what I mean? Like I absorbed all of them and, and that was my like kind of indoctrination into punk rock. It was grunge. And then it was someone saying that's cool. This is this is also really really cool. And I'm like, "Oh my god, you're right."
1: So you're playing shows. Tell us about the early days a little bit. Like how did it build up and how did you how did you start building on things?
2: So, yeah, as as we grew kind of older, kind of start getting into like our junior senior year, the band kind of disbanded. Like we just kind of cooled off. Um I moved, as I mentioned, to the Inland Empire. So I wasn't and I was a kid, so I wasn't driving yet. So it was a little hard to kind of stay active and playing shows by then that scene was starting to die out. I think people were just getting wise that it was not a good thing to keep going. And then sometime, sometime around senior year, around the time we graduated was when we kind of decided to give it a second go. And the original singer ended up going to the Navy. And that's what I'm like, well, I guess I was already doing kind of backups for the band. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just take over and we'll kind of make that a thing. And that was kind of it. It was just after high school when everything had kind of died down and everybody finally had cars and could like drive to a rehearsal that we kind of, I don't want to say got serious, but we really kind of, all right, let's, let's record a a demo and let's see what, let's start playing again. And, you know, we don't have to play at backyard shows. let's, Let's try to actually play at a club or like a church or whatever would have us, you know what I mean?
1: Was it scary to take over as singer? You know, like I remember I was in a band and then I tried to start my own after that where I was leading it and the whole thing just kind of fell apart.
2: <laughs> I remember, I still remember my first show and it was actually at a church that I sang at. And I think I went into it feeling like, okay, I think I'm up for this. But uh, the band to this day is like never let, let like let me off the hook for it because I was just saying awkward stuff. I think I was more nervous than I realized. So I was saying really strange Stuff I can't remember what I was saying. I kept like, uh, like being really self-deprecating. Like, hey, this next song is not really that cool, but I think it's kind of cool. And I'm like, yeah, in retrospect, what the heck was I? Do? I think I was nervous. And <laughs> yeah. then to this day, they still think that like that's the guy I'm on stage. I'm like, I literally did that for one God fucking show, and I, like, that's it. I never did it again. <laughs> and um, so, uh, yeah, the first show was a little bit of nerves. I think the first, I want to say like the first year was kind of an adjustment. And then after like a year, after a good, what, like 50, 60 shows under your belt, like singing, I was, I was fine with it. Like I didn't, I didn't get nervous anymore.
1: Yeah. It takes a while to build that up. I, I did that. Like I did that too. In my first band, I played bass. So I was like starved for attention (laughs) and nervous as well. And I remember being on stage drunk and I tried to like do a Seinfeld quote, into the mic and I just totally bungled it and I I really sounded like a weirdo. I still randomly think about that and get like the hot rush down the back of my head. That's
2: very that's very Seinfeld of you though to like be awkward and mess up the quote. So actually bravo to you.
1: Okay. So now you're leading the band. We're gigging more in clubs and churches, yes?
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, the band records just some rinky dink hundred dollar demo at the you know the the local studio. Uh, We tracked everything live, I believe. I think I just overdubbed vocals. We had a couple of CDs printed. I mean, I literally had like my name and my telephone number. I didn't have an email address, I don't think yet. We're We're starting to make some headway. Like, you know, AOL and internet is starting to become a thing. So we're starting to kind of, you know, apply that. Anyway, I go to a show and the Ataris are playing and I see Chris Rowe there standing there and he happened to have like a satchel, like a bag. And I had one demo and I'm like, all right, if at least if I give him this demo, he's not like burdened with it. Like he can just put it in his bag. Sure enough, he put it in his bag. I forgot all about it. Didn't think I'd ever get a call. I want to say like two weeks later, I get a call from Joe Escalante, was on, who is a uh, owner of Kung Fu Records and bass player for the Vandals. And there was a message on my phone, and he said, hey, I like the songs. I want to I want to work with you guys. And I was like, holy moly. And that was kind of it. That was the start.
1: Wow, nice. And that's when you uh, recorded the first record with Kung Fu Records, and you changed your name from The Goons
2: with a Z. With a Z, yeah. To
1: Audio Karate.
2: Yeah, he didn't like the name, and we sort of realized it wasn't, it was time to change the name. And uh, I think there was already a band with that copyright somewhere, I want to say, in the Midwest. I can't remember. There was already a Goons. Like, you know what? They can have it. We were scrambling for names. We had just really gotten into this band called No Knife from San Diego, this like math rock indie band that's like fantastic if you've never heard of them. Oh, yeah. Or never heard them. Um, And we saw or read an interview where they said we describe our sound as audio karate. And we liked it. We're like, that's we're ripping off No Knife we've been ripping them off musically might as well rip them off with their with their ideas and that was it
1: when you were in the band as the goons did you dislike the name then
2: i i probably didn't give it much thought i feel like once once things got serious and it was like okay but like really you're a band now and you have to actually like think about the stuff that you do because people are going to like you know process it yeah i was like wait a minute the goons that actually sucks <laughs> and did the
1: label suggest the name change
2: yeah they're like hey there's another band called the goons and even if there wasn't <laughs> change. <your name. laughs>
1: yeah. Well, you know, when I joined uh, our current label, Iodine, Casey was like, Have you thought about changing the name? And I was like, Yes, I have. Because <laughs> because we used to be the Northeast scene and it was such a mouthful and too regional, and it was it was just always a problem. So yeah, we did
2: the same thing. Yeah, band names. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, right. I'm jealous of band names. I sometimes I I feel like sometimes I see a band name and I'm like Just by that band name, I have a feeling that band's good. And a lot of the times they are. It's like if they're smart enough to get a good band name, they're probably smart enough to be a good band.
1: Okay, so you're signed to Kung Fu. Tell us about recording the first record and, you know, did things start to pick up after that?
2: Yeah, so I think right around the time that we were like passing out demos and that Joe had taken an interest, we were starting to kind of, you know, like make a, I guess, a name for ourselves in the scene or whatever was the it was kind of like this burgeoning kind of the emo scene. Like the get up kids and Jimmy world were out there and it was like starting to kind of be this thing. And we were kind of starting to get pulled into that a little bit. So we were noticing like people were starting to come to shows and it was becoming like a cool thing. And so, yeah, right around that time we ended up getting signed. So it all kind of coalesced. Uh, We recorded our first record um, space camp at uh, West beach uh, which is in L.A. Uh, with Trevor Keith from Face to Face and Chad Blimman who did um, something to write home about from Ghetto Kids. And um, West Beach is also like a pretty cool studio. Like like a bunch of good punk records were done. there, like Smash from Offspring and Rancid, Out Come the Wolves. Uh, so it was our first like legit like, whoa, we're in a real studio and this is costing money and we have to like record to a click and I'm like doubling my voice kind of thing. But it was super rad. Like, I would just, it was like the most fun thing to just like, whoa, like, this is all we're doing. Like, we're spending two weeks and just recording a record. That was, that was pretty nuts. We had never experienced anything like that.
1: And how much of your time was the band taking up at that time? Did you have to work a separate job? Or were you guys doing a lot of touring?
2: By then, yeah, by then we were pretty much, I mean, we were pretty young. I mean, we were 19, I think, when we got signed. So we were young enough where we could you know, like kind of scrape by off either working like a temp job for a month or borrowing 20 bucks from like our mom or whatever. So we were able to kind of scrape by and make a little bit of money from music that, yeah, it was pretty much by then kind of a full-time thing. We didn't start properly touring kind of full throttle until until Space Camp came out. But yeah, by then it was just like, hey, we can live at home and we we can make this work. Like we can do this full-time.
1: And kind of being part of the burgeoning emo scene at the time, were you guys into that? Did you listen to that type of music too?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've had like kind of, you know, like three kind of aha, like, whoa, this is like pretty, this is something, you know what I mean? I think that was the second one for me was, was hearing kind of Four Minute Mile for the first time. I heard it at a Hot Topic. <laughs> um <laughs> Because back then they had the listening booth and you, I don't, maybe they still do. I don't know. Or maybe, or maybe there is no Hot Topic. I have no idea. But you go in and you listen to a record and I listened to the first like 30 seconds. And it's, again, it's like sometimes you just know right away. And you just knew like the Get Kids. That's a fantastic name. If, this name. if this band sucks, it's like totally a waste of a good band name. And <laughs> that was like the most exciting 30 seconds I had heard anything in years. And I knew it. Like I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm all in.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a defining record. At the time, I was only listening to hardcore, and I was like, I only listen to hardcore, that's all I listen to. But that album snuck into the rotation and opened my eyes and ears to a lot of other great bands of that time.
2: Yeah, in retrospect, it was like, it was kind of, it was, it made sense that it was there when it was there, I think for us too, because we were kind of there when that sort of third wave of punk rock hit with kind of the fat records band. So like, you know, like face to face, uh, no FX, Lagwagon. that those were we love those bands. And there's a, there's an emotional component to those bands. You know what I mean? There's way more melody. It's, it's not black flag. You know what I mean? It's, it's more descendants and there was an emotional aspect to me, but it wasn't necessarily. Uh, it was emotional in terms of like, it's, it's like heft and it's musical melody, but not necessarily lyrically. And I think like get up kids kind of said, okay, I don't think they were necessarily borrowing, but it just felt appropriate. Like, okay, we're going to kind of do that, but we've got our own kind of influence and our own kind of indie vibe. But we're going to also match that emotion with the sort of lyrical content. So it just felt like this this harmony that just worked.
1: So the record is out, right? Tell us about how things picked up or differences you saw. Did, did, Did you and you started touring a lot around that point?
2: yeah so i mean at some at some point you know touring becomes kind of a thing were we were lucky enough to go overseas uh japan England, Europe you know got to be in a tour bus um
1: you got to tour Japan and England
2: yes, yeah, and in that a tour was bus not a tour bus for japan tour bus for England, yes, wow.
1: Who were you out with, or did the label provide that for you?
2: Yeah, that was through the label. So luckily at the time, on the the roster for Kung Fu were the Vandals. Tari's were kind of on their way out signing to a major, but they were still kind of affiliated with the label because that's where they started. So they went on a European tour with us. And then at that time, they had just signed uh, Tsunami Bomb. Um, so between those four bands, that was the, yeah, those were basically who we toured with those first like two years pretty heavily. How were the shows? Great. I mean, yeah, like England, one of our videos from Space Camp was on MTV2 back when MTV played videos. So by the time we got there, like there was like a little buzz about us, which was pretty cool. I mean, for a bunch of like Mexican kids from like East LA to like go to like, you know, Stoke-on-Trent, you know, England. And there's like, yeah, there's like kids there that like want your autograph and and are saying how much they like your band. That was was a total like surreal experience. Yeah, it's got to be. So those tours were good. Yeah, they were really good. Back then people used to go to shows. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if they do anymore, but they used to.
1: I mean, it's got to be completely different now from then to now, right? As far as shows go and as far as touring goes.
2: Yeah. I mean, the band's, I mean, we're now 40 years old, so we've got mortgages, we have kids. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a totally different thing now, but yeah, I must say it's, it's actually kind of nice in terms of where music is in terms of my life. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a side hustle. It's a side thing. I'm able to like maintain some normalcy and quality of life, but still able to like, you know, moonlight as like a musician It's pretty cool.
1: Tell us more about the band in that time. You're touring. I mean, it sounds like some great tours, Europe, Japan. Where did it all lead?
2: Right. So so we, we tour Space Camp. Seems like everything's going well. And then it came time to record our second record. And I think the band kind of looked back at Space Camp and thought, well, that wasn't a bad record. But it was a little it was a little pop punkish. It was a little sort of mired in it's in the genre a little bit. And we sort of consciously and unconsciously decided to make like a change musically. We sort of knew, Hey, we want to, we want to do something else. We want to work with like a producer, maybe that we are like, you know, that we've been interested in working with. And that was Bill Stevenson. And that was it. Like we just started to get to work on our second record. And it was like a conscious sort of pivot. We sort of knew we were probably going to alienate some of our fan base, but it felt like the right move. So yeah, we recorded Lady Melody with Bill Stevenson in Colorado. Yeah, it was, uh, that was again, a completely different experience. Uh, Bill Stevenson has like perfect pitch. So like you don't get away with like recording bad vocals with him because he can (laughs) hear everything. (laughs) And he's known for being pretty tough on you. And he was tough on me and he blew my voice out, I think twice. But that was it. Yeah, we, we did Lady Melody, uh, released that. We started touring a lot. I think that was '04 when we recorded '05. I want to say I was probably home like 40 days of the year in '05. So we were touring pretty intensely, almost to the point that we kind of ran ourselves into the ground. And ultimately, that was our demise.
1: Wow. 40 days home out of the whole year.
2: I think so for '05. Yeah.
1: Okay, so Lady Melody is out. Now, you said it's a departure in sound. How was the reaction to it? Was it accepted by fans?
2: It was what we expected, yeah. It was kind of... I don't mean to make it about gender, but the girls didn't like it. (laughs) Like, in retrospect. You know, we were kind of a pop-punkish band, and it was more hard-on-sleeve kind of stuff in line with, like, Get Up Kids, and again, the sort of third wave of punk rock at the time. And this was a little more aggressive. It was a little more angular, the lyrics were a little more obtuse. Yeah, I think a lot of our fans didn't get it. But it was the first time that like, yeah, like I guess I don't want to say like critics. Like it was the first time that people who felt like they were at the time they feel cool and, and in retrospect, who gives a shit? But they they were the ones that were like, This is this is a good record. Like this is this is something that is feels relevant and has weight. And somehow that was gratifying but yeah in the end like if you know if you're alienating your fans i don't know how far you're going to get i think we made new fans but i think it did kind of cause some issues for the band ultimately
1: so it's a critical step forward and it's a step forward for you guys cuz you're writing new stuff and uh growing but not everybody liked it
2: right yeah we were pushing ourselves and that was to me like hey we're we're really like we're like being we're doing like what artists do like you know what i mean we're taking a risk and we're not sitting on our laurels and trying to just create the same record. Like we're actually like trying to do something exciting and different and challenging ourselves. Yeah. To me, it it felt like the right move.
1: And you toured almost the entire year. Now talk about that a little bit, because if I was on the road for 300 plus days out of the year, I think I would go nuts.
2: And I think that's exactly what happened. I mean, we just, we toured ourselves into the ground. We were like, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to, you know, we're going to sleep on floors and we're not going to shower for days. And like, we're just, this is our life. And, you know, you start, you get on, you know, show 200 at the end of 05 and start getting into 06. And you start to sort of see the writing on the wall. You know, I mean, you're like, okay, we've been to Boise, Idaho now four times. And uh, it seems like less people are coming to the shows. So, yeah, you kind of start to see that. And I think you try to keep your head up and be positive. But, yeah, it just you start to sort of see that diminishing returns. And so combine that with, you know, a bunch of guys in a van together. And we've been together probably too long. And eventually, yeah, that kind of just, yeah, you're going you're gonna to meet your end at that point.
1: So how did it end? What was the conversation? That was basically
2: it. Like at some point we were on a tour and we were just miserable and no one really was saying it explicitly. And at some point someone said, Hey man, like this sucks. And we're like, yeah, (laughs) this does suck. Like this is not (laughs) fun anymore. It's supposed to be fun. And this is like work and it's work. That's not making us any money. So yeah, at that point it was like, Hey, let's just, let's just stop. We had, I think one more tour planned in England. Like we'll do England and then we'll kind of see where we are. We stopped basically touring. I think we did a handful of shows maybe in Southern California after that. And weirdly enough, like, those are really good shows um, in retrospect because they, like, people actually came out. I think because we had taken a break and had been away for so long. Um, we started working on our third record. At that point, Jason, the guitarist, had built, like, a studio uh, in L.A. And uh, using that studio, we started to get to work on our third record. The record was more or less finished. Um, I mean, like, the tracks were done. I didn't really get to do vocals. I just kind of did, like, one take on everything. And at some point, yeah, like it just became obvious that we were all just going to go different directions and the band was just not something we were going to prioritize anymore. And that was kind of it. We sort of broke up without really ever saying we broke up. But we left a third record sort of unfinished.
1: So there wasn't an announcement. These are our last shows. This is it. It just kind of fizzled out at that time.
2: I think we announced the hiatus, I want to say, or somehow that leaked out. I don't even ever think we meant to make, make that a thing. But yeah, we just basically went on hiatus and just kind of fizzled out.
1: So talk about that time a little bit. Did you want to be done with music? Did you have plans for some other kind of life? What did you do?
2: I I honestly, yeah, I I think I was probably one of the guys that was like kind of fighting against it a bit and wasn't really ready to call it quits. But I think I eventually just accepted it and like, all right, well, then I'm going to just, yeah, I'm going to get or try to get a real job, quote unquote, and try to just move on with my life. To the point that, yeah, I kind of almost convinced myself. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, this is probably best. I had my years. They were fun. But I don't think I want to do music anymore. And I basically didn't do anything musically for, I want to say, three years. Like, I really didn't even much pick up a guitar or think about anything. And then uh, I got in a car. I actually got in two car accidents within eight months. And both were really similar where I was uh, rear-ended uh, like I had come to a stop, and somebody just basically rear-ended me. This happened twice within eight months. So I had like herniated discs, my back was a mess, and I had to take time off of work. And that's when I kind of just started to reassess things and realize, hey, you know what? Like, you start to think about what's important to you, and you're like, you know what? I miss music, and uh, I'm gonna write songs, and and I'll I'll kind of take it from there.
1: So when you started writing songs again, did you think they were going to be? For audio karate or was it something else?
2: Yeah, that was something I was, we were like, so I knew that I wanted to, by then our guitarist Jason had, was like a full on, like he was in like a, just had a full-time job and it was basically just unavailable. I think he had already been married, had his first kid. So we knew that he wasn't really going to be a part of it, but I knew that the bass player and drummer from audio karate still wanted to make music because we were starting to kind of throw the ideas around. So at first, yeah, it was kind of like, well, yeah, I guess we'll just reunite audio karate, maybe just get a different guitarist. But the songs I was writing at the time were different. It didn't feel like whatever audio karate was, even though it was like two pretty different sounding, well, now three different sounding records, um, I knew that it was an audio karate. I sort of deep down, I knew like, now, like I kind of hear piano on this and I kind of want to take this in a different direction. So at some point it became pretty clear that it was going to be a different project.
1: And is that uh, what became Indian School?
2: Yeah, that's correct, yeah.
1: Okay. So you're back with some members of Audio Karate, and we're writing songs as Indian School. Correct, yeah. And talk about that time. Did you, did you record the record? What was the plan?
2: Yeah, so we, we ended up recording some songs, uh, ended up releasing uh, an EP. You know, again, by then, we're already in our 30s, so our bass player is now married, has his first kid. At the time, our drummer also had like, you know, we kind of had his own thing. So it was difficult to tour. We sort of did our best uh, to sort of try to sort of like, all right, are we going to do this full time? It never really materialized into that. So it ended up just kind of being a side project band. But it was was enough. It was the sort of the catalyst that we needed that ultimately sort of transitioned into audio karate kind of becoming a band again. It set everything up, you know, again for that to happen.
1: And it must have felt good to be playing again after those years off because you know myself i typically go years and years between bands so when i finally get to play again whether it's one show or a couple i I mean i love it
2: yeah like i mean yeah it was validating as soon as we were doing it again i'm like yeah this is this is what i missed in my life and this is what i wanted to do so i knew that like i was like yeah this is this is gonna work for me it was it was it took years to find a balance you know what i mean between you know, work life and just being like a normal person who pays their bills and isn't struggling and finding, you know, kind of a a place for music. And yeah, it took years. I mean, that's really only happened for me in the last five years.
1: So there was another long hiatus between Indian school and the return of audio karate, right?
2: Yeah. So audio uh, Indian school probably fizzles out around 2016. And then again, what ended up happening and sort of the bridge to audio karate is we were going to play Riot Fest, I think, for 2016 Indian School. And at the time, our bass player had just gotten a new job, so he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do it. And we're like, there's no way we're not playing Riot Fest, so we're going to have to figure something out. So our drummer, again, who is cousins with our guitarist, Jason, reached out to him and was like, hey, would you be interested in filling in for bass if our bass player can't do it? And he was like, sure. And so we were all, for the first time in almost 10 years, in a room together, kind of going over and rehearsing these songs. It was a little awkward. I think Jason was probably the most awkward about it. But we we just kind of knew, like, hey, this 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 is us. Like, this is a brotherhood, and we're the same guys that we were when we were kids, just a little older. And this is fine. Like, we can be in a room together, and there's no bad blood, and we're good. And I think that set it up. What
1: was awkward about it? I mean, did you guys get along when you were broken up? What did you have to work through?
2: Yeah, so I, I, again, I, I think, so me and the bass player, Justo, and Gabe, the drummer, were, went on to form Indian School, and Jason kind of did his own thing. So again, they're cousins, so they kind of stayed in touch. But to be honest, yeah, we really didn't stay in touch too much. I, it wasn't necessarily bad blood. I didn't dislike them necessarily. But in retrospect, yeah, it was just kind of like, Okay, like you're not really you're not really in it with us anymore. And you kind of decided to kind of do your own thing. And that's fine. But yeah, I think there was a little in retrospect, a little bit of resentment, probably um, feeling like, hey, we kind of left a third record on the shelf, probably could have kept going in his audio karate, at least for another year or two. But yeah, so I think that was it. And it was like, is there anything we need to sort of air out? Um, And I think that's where the awkwardness came from.
1: So did you ever have to have any conversation or anything
2: or did you just kind of fall back into step? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think probably the healthy thing, a psychologist probably would have recommended that we talked it out. Yeah. But I think, again, just us being the way we are and there just being that sort of thing where we're sort of brothers in a way, even though we're not. Yeah, I think it was just like, look, whatever it is, it's not that big a deal. So it's, fuck it, let's just jam. We sorted it out through the music, basically.
1: That's good, yeah, because, I, I mean, I'm 40 now, and I wasn't able to have mature conversations until, uh, let's see,
2: <laughs> this year? Yeah, till so, today.
1: Yeah, so when I'm, like, in my early to mid-30s, forget about it, I was probably the biggest mess during my early to mid-30s.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, in retrospect, there probably should have been a conversation, but it was like, you know what, It's it's fine, we'll just sort it out, and it's all good, and I love you, and let's rock. Did you play Riot Fest as
1: Indian School?
2: We did, yeah. I think that was 2016. Yeah.
1: Now here's a question: Did Indian School just play Indian School songs, or did you play Audio Karate songs too? We
2: would, yeah, we would play Audio Karate songs here and there, yeah. Because I mean, so many of the people that that got into Indian School were obviously Audio Karate fans, and so yeah, we would we would play it. Maybe just like one here, and, and it wasn't like like a you know always a part of the set, but yeah, we were definitely we wouldn't shy away from like playing Audio Karate songs. How was playing Riot Fest? That was amazing, actually. I've been trying to get back on ever since. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fun. Like, uh, yeah, it's just a really well run festival, Um, open bar. And, uh, but yeah, the bands were just incredible. Like, everywhere you just looked, there was like a just a fantastic band, whether it was on a small stage or a big stage. And yeah, it's like, it's totally just such a vibe to just to do it. And um, yeah, we've been trying to get back ever since.
1: Once the people who run Riot Fest hear this episode of this podcast, it's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I'm available. Well, audio karate is available. Sorry, Indian school. And if you really want Indian school, we'll do it. But
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're going to do audio karate this time. So uh, let's do this. We make things happen here at the new scene.
2: Yeah, we'll work for cheap. Well, not that cheap. Cheap enough. Yeah.
1: All right. So let's talk about the return of audio karate. How does this come about and when?
2: Yeah. So again, about 20 maybe 2017 actually. Um so I'm in another band. Uh I am in a tribute band to the Smiths and Morrissey, which sounds a bit silly, but it's actually a really good band. Um, any
1: uh any trepidation with that nowadays because Morrissey, he just keeps saying things that get him in trouble.
2: So he, he does. He does. Sure. And and the band has had to deal with with that and we've, you know, tried to sort of say hey look it's for us it's about the music and we've never really been about the politics of the guy so whatever his thing is we try to stay out of it
1: when playing shows as the morrissey smith's tribute band have you ever thought of taking on the persona of morrissey and just being an asshole to everything <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> It'd be pretty easy, wasn't it? Um no, I never have. I'm not the singer, so I'm not the Morrissey guy. I'm just the guitarist. Um okay, okay. Yeah, our singer Jose is the is the singer. He's the guy. But yeah, again, we just it's never it's like, you know what? We don't really want to get involved. They've they've been they they've been around since got going on 25 years. So they're a, kind of a pretty like integral part of sort of the sort of the LA sort of music scene. Yeah. So what did
0: Morrissey do? I didn't. I, I don't. I don't. I'm unaware of this. What did he do?
1: Uh, I don't even know. I honestly, because I don't listen to Morrissey or The Smiths, but I just always see like a headline: Morrissey said something, and everybody's mad. I think uh, something to do with England or Arturo, Help me out.
2: <laughs> there, there's stuff that he. I, even I try to stay out of it. To be completely honest, he's a. My understanding, if, if I'm just kind of being, just kind of just, he's a bit of a heel and a bit of a provocateur. and he says some controversial stuff and it has not been taken well um i will let you do the google search yeah um yeah yeah, in terms of what what your assessment is like okay yeah i would never listen to that guy or like well it's not that bad uh you know i'll let you determine that but essentially yeah he has said controversial stuff enough that the band has had to sort of say hey like we don't like, this isn't our bag, and we're just a band. Like, we're just, you know what I mean? Like, we don't want to get into the politics of this guy. We're all about the music.
1: Um, okay, so Audio Karate's coming back, right? So, yeah, so
2: I'm in that band. We're playing some festival in L.A. somewhere, and uh, Rob, who uh, runs Wiretap Records, is there. Um, at the time, I believe he worked for K-Rock, and K-Rock was putting on the festival. Anyway, he knew who I was, and we started chatting, and he was like, hey, like, um, I have a label, what do you think about uh, me releasing uh, Audio Karate's first record on vinyl? I'm like, cool. Yeah, like we had kind of thought about possibly doing it at some point, but if you want to go ahead and do it, by all means. And then he kind of, you could see he was kind of like, he's like, well, you know, if you guys, if I did this, like would you guys be open to playing shows? And again, we had just come off the Riot Fest thing where we were all in a room together. It wasn't that long ago. So I'm like, yeah, I think we can all be in a room together. So I'm like, yeah, I think so. Like, I think, uh, I think us playing live and playing a couple of shows might be something we can do. And that was kind of the start of it, really. Yeah, he put out the record on vinyl, and we just started playing shows again.
1: And you ended up putting out another record with Wiretap too, right?
2: Right. So again, so going back to when the band initially went on hiatus, um, we were working on a third record. This was the record we were working on at the LA studio that we had built. The record was more or less done but I had not really finished the vocals. Like if you hear the vocals on that record, a lot of it is just phonetics. So it's me sounding like I'm saying something, but if you really pay close attention, it's basically gibberish. I'm just kind of scatting vocally. So at some point we just dug up those tracks, um, put them into Pro Tools and remixed it and kind of realized there's a record here. Like there's, yeah, there's a body of work that is releasable. and. Yeah, that that ended up being our third record, Malo, which is essentially a record that is now, you know, it came out essentially what, 12 years later, 12 years after it was initially recorded.
1: What was it like to work on that record again after all those years?
2: It was crazy. So Jason, the guitarist, didn't tell us he it was his idea. He kind of spearheaded the idea of because he, he was recording the album. So he had the files. I had kind of forgotten all about it. Um, and at some point he just brought us to the room. He's like, here, you guys got to check this out. This is going to like weird you guys out or blow you away. I don't know. And it was the it was like one of the songs from from the record. And I was like, holy moly. Like, a I I for, completely forgot about this. And B, this sounds kind of good. <laughs> like, This isn't bad at all. Like, this is not what I remember tracking like this actually sounds pretty decent. And that was it like and at some point we just said hey I, I think we're going to release this as a record let's give it a shot there's there's you know 10 to 12 songs here like we can we have a record they're like all right let's do it
1: Yeah it's great that you got to release it again because you know like I, I, it's always a bummer when you're working on something and it just it just ends up shelved and that's it
2: Yeah and I think that's where we're at now as a band it's like again that bring I don't know why the Smiths and Morrissey keep coming up but <laughs> uh we sort of talk about the Smiths then there's other bands like them. I'm sure you guys know them where there are bands that are pretty prolific. And in the end, when it's all said and done, you basically have every B-side, every demo, any song they've ever recorded anywhere is available. You know what I mean? Like it's on a record, it's on a B-side, it's on a comp, whatever. And we sort of realize, you know what, by the time it's all said and done, Everything we've ever recorded is going to be available to listen to. And that leads us to our fourth, the fourth record we're about to release, Otra, which is essentially a B-Sides rarity album of all the stuff from Space Camp, Lady Melody, and Malo, the last record.
1: Yes. Now, folks, Ultra is a collection of rare and unreleased material, which Arturo just described. And we worked with Bill Stevenson again from Descendants, right?
2: Yeah, he's, I mean, yeah. that's the Lady Melody tracks, yeah. So technically he's on there. Trevor Keith and the stuff he did with Space Camp.
1: And folks, check out the new single which just came out, Lovely Residence, hmm? featuring Agent M, Emily Whitehurst of Tsunami Bomb. That's right. Excellent song, excellent video. I really dig it. Thanks, man. So tell us how you got hooked up with Iodine.
2: Yeah, that was, you know, I guess coming back into into the the scene or whatever's left of it anyway i don't know but uh coming back into things i feel like like a small goal of the band was like look a lot of people probably didn't realize we were around when we were around and in a weird way a goal was like let's yeah let's sort of come back and in hopes that we get people to say hey I didn't ever listen to you guys when you when you guys were on in 04, but you guys are pretty cool. And we're like, cool, that was the idea. And essentially, Casey is one of those guys. Yeah, he was like, hey, like, eventually we just, it was like started as friendly back and forth. And eventually we kind of forged a friendship with him. And then he's like, hey, you know what? You guys are pretty good. You guys, you know, you guys doing anything? You guys want to release a record or something? And we're like, sure.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how we did it too. Yeah.
2: And he's, yeah, he's a great guy. He's been super easy to work with. I, I really like what he's doing with the label and the bands that he's signing. So I couldn't ask for anything more in terms of like just Casey and what he's doing.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, over the years, have you found that more people are giving you a chance who maybe didn't before? And I ask because when I was young, I had my head up my ass and I was like, I only listen to these five things and anything that falls outside those boundaries. I don't listen to. And I, you know, as I'm doing the podcast now and talking to new bands all the time, I find myself listening to a lot more music and giving a lot more things a chance, both old and new.
2: Yeah, I do the same thing. Like, I I fell asleep on bands that I look back and I listen to and like, oh, I totally never listened to this band. So yeah, again, that, that was sort of the goal in a weird way and has kind of been, yeah, that's actually ended up happening where we've had people come back like hey i'm sorry like i totally fell asleep on you guys and it's happened in like in cool to you know like people like casey or like mike herrera from mxpx you know like people who are like oh that's kind of cool that you kind of like our band now and totally didn't know we existed when we were around like cool (laughs) and and it's you know and and the fans are great too but it's kind of neat to have those people kind of come on board and be like hey you guys aren't bad thanks man Do you get resentful at all? Is it like, hey, man, where were you like 15 years ago? (laughs) Or are you at an
1: age now where it's like, look, I'm just happy that it's all good.
2: I don't care. I think it's totally cool. Yeah, I never thought that Audio Karate would come back. It was never something I had was completely fine and done with it never being a band again, to be honest. So for it to come back and be anything at all. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I'm, I'm good with it. And talk about the
1: landscape of the band and your lives now. How does it fit in? I assume you guys are all working full time and have families. So like, what's the plan? How does it all work out?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I I must say like, I'm, I'm, I think we're lucky too, because I, I hear podcasts and we hear stories from bands and it, it sucks to hear how tough it's been for bands these last couple of years with COVID. We were kind of not done, but by the end of 2019, we're like, all right, we kind of, you know, supported our third record. Uh, We sort of knew that we were going to start to work on this rarities B-side thing, but we sort of knew we were going to take a break. Our guitarist lives in Oregon. We kind of knew that we were going to kind of take a break anyway, so it kind of coincided with COVID, so it kind of worked out. It was fine. But now we're at a point where, yeah, we can, we don't have to tour. Relentlessly, it's not, it's it's basically like a side hustle for us. We, it's a passion project. Like we can just do it when we want to do it and if we get an offer for like a really cool festival yeah truth be told we're not going to make a ton of money but we're in a place where it's a subsidized vacation that's perfectly fine
1: so what do you do for your career
2: so yeah i work for i work for the county of orange which is where i live here in orange county california um yeah basically social work so i'm i'm in management like overseeing caseworkers basically
1: how did you fare during covid was it difficult for you I mean, uh, minus getting COVID, of course.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which again, luckily, wasn't too bad. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people had it a lot rougher, so I feel a bit weird, kind of. But no, overall, I'd say we, me and my wife, were pretty good. I think it was just it was a. It, I mean, that's a tough way to have kind of experience your first year of marriage. Like, we got married in January, and COVID hit in March, so we were literally planning our honeymoon, and then everything happened, and we had to cancel everything. So that was our first year, like of being married. Like we even talk about it. Like, what do you think we, we would have been like, like if COVID had never happened? Like it's just, it's such, it becomes such a big part of our lives and our marriage that there's like, kind of, it's hard to separate the two, you know what I mean? But overall, yeah. Like I, my, my wife owns her own hair salon. So that was tough for her. She had a shutdown. So that was stressful. Um, But me being kind of in, like an essential worker and, you know, social services and all that um, my life didn't get, Uprooted too much. Like I still had to come to work, and my life really didn't stop in that way. So you still had to go into
1: the office and everything like normal.
2: Yeah, we did. Eventually, they ended up. You know, now they've implemented like a tele uh, a teleworking thing, which kind of works. But yeah, because so much of what we do is in person, and you know, we deal with like homeless clientele and stuff like that. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, just we do have to be in an actual fixed place. You know what I mean? In an office.
1: So the first year of marriage must have been tough, right? Because it's like a crash course in everything because of COVID.
2: Right. And then, yeah, you've got COVID on top of it. Again, like, you know, two months into being married, my wife's business shuts down. We're like, holy moly. I do think, and it sounds cliche, but I do think we are stronger for it. Like, we are. Like, I don't think, I actually, in a way, ended up being a a, a kind of a a strength test to see how how much did we really want to be like together because- That was it. Like, we were just, we can't go anywhere, and it's just us. So, yeah, I hope we love each other, because we're about to find out for sure.
1: Well, yes, it sounds like it worked out. I mean, you guys are, you're doing good. We're doing good.
2: We're happily married, and her salon is back up and running, and, you know, we're trying to do what everybody else is doing, which is just get by with the way that things are. And luckily, it looks like, you know, music is starting to pick up again, so... Looks like we, you know, we'll be start, you know, hopefully playing some shows um, throughout the year. Do you have anything planned? So we have our record release on March nineteenth at a venue called the Paramount in uh, L.A., and we will be playing also March twentieth in San Diego. Uh, that's it so far. We've kind of we're setting up some stuff possibly for the summer. I think like a lot of bands, we're kind of just seeing where things are before we get to, you know, start booking too much and. Yeah and then uh yeah that's pretty much it so far.
1: So when you're not playing music and touring and doing social work what do you do how do you unwind?
2: Yeah, I mean I've I've got I've got a dog but as you can hear through the audio she can be very um temperamental. <laughs> um when she's not she's great. She she settled down now cuz she's like right next to me which is all she wanted to do. Yeah, me and my wife like we like to whenever we obviously with covid but we like to we like to travel but we're homebodies anyway. Um I actually became, and I never in a million years thought that I would ever become this, but I've become like kind of a wine guy, like legitimately into wine. Like I have a wine fridge and like, yeah, like I'm like into wine. It's like a thing. Never thought that that would happen in a million years.
1: <laughs> Did that come about after the marriage?
2: Um it came about, COVID definitely like helped it because I was just home and like was like kind of bored and had nothing to do. Um, again, so I've always grown up kind of in the suburbs or kind of in maybe, you know, maybe not the best areas. I lived in East LA, which is kind of a, a tough neighborhood. Um, where I live now, which is South Orange County is pretty well to do in terms of just the neighborhood. So I think it was just access to wine that kind of was it. You know what I mean? Cause there's wine shops out here and you go to like your local, store and you can like drink wine from those little like servers that was something i had never had access to so i think it was just that that is like oh it's here and it seems to be everywhere and that kind of started it for me
1: yeah i'm fascinated by the things people pick up during covid and and different hobbies and that stuff because covid kind of changed the landscape of everything i do in my personal time like before i used to go out more and i would just watch movies or tv shows and you know, walk around and listen to music. And once COVID hit, I stopped doing all of that. Now I only watch stuff on YouTube or Twitch. And I don't really listen to music too much anymore when I'm walking around outside. I don't know. It's just like everything changed.
2: Yeah. Actually, I would say it's funny for me. It was like reverse. So I used to listen to a lot of podcasts before COVID. And then once COVID hit, I started listening to less podcasts and actually started listening to more music. So yeah, it's like you start to kind of just think you reevaluate things. Things just change. Exactly. Yeah, things things changed a lot. I, I would think that I would write more music, but actually I really haven't written much music.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was a lot there was a lot of things I said I was gonna do right. uh, that yeah. I still haven't done. And I always think like if you're just talking about it but you never do it, it's not really your passion.
2: Not yet at least. It's not time. It's a good it's an interesting insight. I think you're right.
1: Yeah, because like I'm always like, hey, I'm gonna get into home recording and I'm gonna start recording a lot of music by myself. I'm gonna be a prolific solo artist, but I, I don't do it. Yeah, I, I I don't do it. So that's not my that's not my destiny
2: yet. You must not be that into. I tell myself too the same thing. Like I've never been like a like a. I don't record myself aside from just recording on a phone. But I'm always like, one of these days, I'm gonna set up at least a decent little home studio with a couple of mics. And I'm gonna like finally actually be able to record decent demos. I never do it. I've never done it. <laughs> and I'm never going to do it. I know. I know myself. I'm just not.
1: I wanna do it so bad. I wanna start like a lo-fi hip hop uh beats type band. And then I like a little, I don't know, like a solo acoustic project or so. I, I wanna be able to sit there in Ableton with the mics and all the the patch things and I wanna record it, but I I just never do it.
2: Do you think we don't do it because we think we're afraid it's going to suck? Because <laughs> that's, I think, I, probably why I don't do it. Because I'm like, oh, if I had a home studio, I would, like, write great songs all the time. But then it's like, eh, if I probably did, I probably would write the same stupid songs I write. It wouldn't make any difference.
1: <laughs> I think that's part of it. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I would record it and it would be the greatest shit ever. Yeah. Oh, my God. The world doesn't even know how to handle it. But then when you actually do it, it's like, oh, I'm not the greatest person in the world
2: yeah oh yeah this was kind of like this is cool but it's not that cool (laughs) i always i always think like the barrier to
0: entry in certain things is enough for me to be like yeah i'm not gonna do that i've had two goals for like 10 years the same two read music speak spanish i can't do either of those fucking things and it's been a decade (laughs) and i think what kind of always gets me is like i see how much work goes into that and then i go i don't think i have the time to dedicate to that so i'll take smaller projects on that i know i can actually handle that seems to be my thinking whenever i put something off it's like what my goal seems to be is like is too much it's insurmountable don't even start it because you're going to end up getting disappointed in the end
1: yeah it's like uh i didn't become a home recording guy but i did somehow start a weekly podcast so i guess that's my thing
2: i would say so i think this is great yeah you guys are doing this this is right
1: I mean, we have this, Tommy, right? This is, yeah, this is good this enough, is good. guys. You
0: guys are fine. I got my interface in the mail the other day, so I have that. Oh,
1: so you're you're further along than me. And, uh, well, we don't speak Spanish, but do, Arturo, do you speak Spanish?
2: I do speak Spanish, and I and I had to rediscover Spanish because um, I kind of, I yeah, I, I lost it a little bit. And it's difficult. It's difficult. It's a difficult language to learn, as any language is. Do you need to know it for work? I do, yeah.
1: Is that why you rediscovered it?
2: I, uh, part, well, before that, so I worked for a bank for like five years and it was actually like, I was dumb luck. Like I was trying to interview for some job and, uh, I didn't realize that it was a Spanish speaking mainly job. And at the end they're like, all right, you got the job. Um, you do speak Spanish, right? And I'm like, uh, sure. Like if I'm not going to say No you're like, uh, see?
0: Yeah. And secretly
2: <laughs> I was like, oof, like this is going to be, I don't know if I have the enough, you know, Spanish in me to pull this off. And it, at first I didn't, like I almost quit, but I stuck it out. And I think cause it was my job and I was forced to speak Spanish after a few months, a lot of it came back to me and I actually got better. And I haven't been the same since like to now I can legitimately say I speak fluent Spanish.
1: What did you do to reintegrate yourself? Because that sounds like the stuff of nightmares it's like i, I get
2: oh, the- it was so stressful yeah Ugh, this is the worst like i even had a guy who was like sat in front of me who of course spoke brilliant spanish and he would overhear me and he was not cool about it he was like yeah it doesn't really sound like you can speak spanish bro and i'm like, <laughs> like really and he's like yeah man maybe this job isn't for you like straight up telling me like you should just quit like you're oh. terrible and I think that pissed me off because he was like a dick about it. I'm like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Like, I'm going to learn Spanish. And it was just like kind of like a sales. It was like, you know, like a banker opening up accounts and stuff. So eventually I had better numbers than him. So I thought that was pretty <laughs> cool that I eventually got the last laugh.
1: Did he ever know that you had better numbers than him? Did you get to rub it in his face at all?
2: I think I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point, we kind of became cool. Like, he I eventually earned his respect. And he's like, oh, it looks like you're doing pretty well. These numbers. I'm like, that's right, fucker.
1: <laughs> resentment can be the greatest motivator sometimes
2: yeah it actually yeah. i was like you know what i'm gonna put my head down and try to make this work and eventually yeah, I, I started to pick it up spite is a marvelous motivator like there oh, was the best yeah
0: like that sometimes there's certain things when somebody says to me you can't do that i'm like well now nah, i gotta fucking do it
2: <laughs> Like, yeah. nah. and just force like i had to do it like it was my job i was either gonna quit and not pay my bills or i had to to figure out how to speak spanish yeah, it was. it's a necessity of the mother of invention kind of thing. Like, I got to figure this out or I'm screwed. So, yeah, folks,
1: go to iodinerecords.com and pre-order Outra today, right? We need to get that. Yes, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I mean, come on. What what are we doing? And uh, check <laughs> out the new single, Lovely Residence." Great song, great video. It'll give you a little taste of what's to come. And uh, if you're in California, you got to go to those – record release shows come on those are going to be great right
2: the paramount in la march 19th and that at three punk ales in san diego well chula vista sorry california
1: excellent well arturo we just want to say thank you for coming on the show tonight we really dig what you guys are doing and we're looking forward to more so thank you so much
2: i appreciate it guys thank you
1: there you have it folks arturo barrios excellent conversation excellent band glad they're back together and releasing things and doing things arturo was a pleasure to talk to you know it was great to hear about the history of that band because i didn't catch them back in the day you know i was i don't know that that was just that world of music was not something i was deep into and but I listen to a lot more of it now. So it was great to hear about the history of audio karate. And I really loved that story at the end where he uh, he learned Spanish out of spite, you know, to, <laughs> to survive. Well, not just for spite, but to survive in the job and to, like, show up that guy. And he eventually had better sales than him. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, dude, your Spanish is terrible. No, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> like-
1: <laughs> but, you know, I, it's just, I just... And I'm sorry if this is annoying for people to hear, but I just I really like being a part of iodine and working with the label and being partnered with these bands and supporting each other.
0: And I I like it. I like it a lot. I, 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 I completely agree. It's just it's it's a great match for us. And on top of that they put out so many good bands, just different types of music, stuff that I haven't been exposed to before stuff that I haven't spent a lot of time listening to before. And it's just a really great way to kind of like ingratiate ourselves to other people. And on top of that, uh, it, it's like, we have like a, a stable, like a roster of people. We can be like, all right, just call Casey and see if we can get somebody on. Like, you know, yes, we have that ability to be able to be like, Hey, can you make some phone calls? Cause we need some people. <laughs>
1: We have the tools to get the job done. So Arturo, thank you. Great conversation. And we look forward to a lot more from Audio Karate. And folks, once again, order Outra if you haven't done it.
0: I actually saw so I was thinking about uh one of the stories that Arturo shared uh about backyard shows. And I I, I I could be getting this wrong, but I think it was like one of the Inland Empire shows and he was talking about it was like, you know, in someone's backyard, it's kind of like, you know, half dirt, half grass, and it's like As soon as he was telling that story, like the next day I was scrolling through Instagram and there was a a video of a show that was clearly taking place in some place that was like someone's backyard. There was like a, you know, like wooden fence in the background and a dirt ground and there was a punk rock band playing and uh, somebody in the middle of the show got stabbed. <laughs> and I was like, it was like one of those, you know, crazy like gore things I follow on Instagram. And I was like, oh my God, like he, Arturo was just talking about this and now it pops right up. I was like, what unbelievable fate. Like, just to, like he mentions that story and then I see a video like that almost mimics exactly what he was talking about. Like the next day, it was unbelievable. Yeah, that scene sounded awesome. Oh, scary, yeah. but awesome. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Scary, but awesome. There was a lot of cool stuff going on there. Well, Tommy. Let's talk about ourselves, huh? How are we doing? Now, I'm going to go first because I have uncovered so much information about Tommy over these past two days that your minds are going to be blown, (laughs) and I don't really have anything going on, so I'm just going to check in real quick. I'm fine. I'm living my dream of working from home, and I sit in front of computers all day, and I work on the podcast, and I have fun, and I talk to guests and then I go out a couple of times during the week and the weekend, and I'm starting a new band, and it's sounding cool, and I hope we make it to our first show. And that's it. I'm just living and enjoying life, and everything's cool, and I really don't have any complaints. That's all that's going on. That's what's still going on. Now, on to Tommy. There's a there's a lot of Tommy news here. Now, <laughs> I I showed him something I made, and he mentioned some... He mentioned that he and his wife walked out at their wedding to a Rage Against the Machine song. Is that right, Tommy?
0: Yeah, so uh, we had already picked a couple songs that we were going to have played. The song that we were going to dance to was uh, from an instrumental band called Six Part Seven. And we were going to walk out to uh, his Hero Is Gone song called Like Weeds. And <laughs> like two days be- How
1: How did you ever... Get that cleared with Kelly. So
0: the whole idea was she had this kind of theme, and I I think maybe you remember at the end of the night she brought out a bunch of fake like the blow up guitars and blow up microphones. She wanted it to kind of be like a karaoke heavy metal kind of thing, like at the end. And I was like, no one's gonna sing. Don't do that. And she's like, well, I already <laughs> ordered that shit, so it's happening. I was like, all right, whatever. Um, but we were going over things like last minute, like right before, like literally two days before the wedding. And, uh, the guy who was the DJ asked for a, you know, a CD copy of everything that needed to be played and the order it needed to be played in. So I was like, all right, let me start putting it on. And I I remember this clearly, she was standing in the other room and she was like, wait, is that the song we're coming out to? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I don't like that. I was like, Yeah, but it's heavy. Like, it starts out, like, real light. Like, so that's while the whole, you know, while the wedding party's coming out. And then when we come out is when the heavy parts start. And she's like, yeah, that's too heavy.
1: And I was like. Yeah, his hero is gone for a wedding entrance. What were you thinking?
0: I don't know. I, don't, I I just thought it was it's a fucking rad song. So like, this, is, this is great. <laughs> but
1: there's like families and grandmothers oh, yeah.
0: and aunts there. Like oh, I could care. That, I could care less.
1: So how did you settle on Rage Against the Machine? Was that was that like the safe mainstream choice or something? Yeah.
0: So I started kind of just throwing like mainstream things at her that I was okay with, uh, and I was like. Let me put some uh, Rage Against the Machine stuff on. So I played uh, Bulls on Parade at first. And she was like, I don't like that. Um, She was like, I don't like that they say shotgun. And I was like, okay. And then uh, I played, uh, I forget what the other one I picked was. And then the one we finally settled on was Born of a Broken Man. So we we played that. And it was funny that I, I had literally just heard it maybe two or three days prior because uh, I was listening to an old episode of Opie and Anthony and they used to use it as like their coming back from commercial like it was their bed they used in coming back from commercials.
1: How did you gain the upper hand in this? How did you get to pick all the music?
0: Uh, I don't I didn't pick any of the music with the sole exception of the song we were going to dance to. And actually, she changed that twice, too. I forget what the first choice was, but I remember the other. So you didn't pick anything ultimately. I mean, I, 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 I let's just put that, I, I put a ton of options in front of her. And they were all rejected. With the sole exception of the one she picked. <laughs> Which- and,
1: and rightfully so. Now, speaking of shotguns, I have also heard some news that, that surprised me. Tommy has a shotgun. I do. In his house. I do. I can't believe that. I've had a gun since, uh, I lived in Ben Salem i had i didn't know this yeah now we're we're not going to tell the whole story because it's too much but yeah. someone gave tommy a shotgun and he used to go shooting and i don't yeah. know G- yeah. give us like a give us like the one minute version
0: uh so my stepfather was really involved in a gun club uh in the mid 80s uh i actually made friends with a guy who i worked with when i was at the welding shop who owned a farm, who was also into the same thing, which is skeet shooting, like, you know, the clay pigeons, you launch them and shoot them with the shotgun. It's really, it's really fun. But he mentioned that he does it on the weekends. And I said, oh, I don't have a a gun. And he goes, well, he's like, I have a couple at my house you can use. And I just mentioned it over dinner. And my stepfather was like, I have a shotgun upstairs, you can just have it. And I was like, get out, really? And he's like, yeah, of course. So I went to the store, I went to Walmart, bought a bunch of ammo. Uh, I put the gun in my trunk and I put the ammo in my glove box and I drove to work that day. And after work that day, we went out to his farm and he had like, uh, like 30 acres up past Doylestown and shot shot shotguns. And then I think it was not the following weekend, but the weekend after that, uh, Kelly came with us and Kelly did the same thing. Kelly came out and shot guns with us.
1: You see the things Tommy is up to that I have no (laughs) idea about. I will say it's just, I,
0: I haven't shot it in more than 15 years. So well, it's probably not. I, I, if I, if I needed to use it in an emergency, like it, it may not fire. I haven't cleaned it or taken care of it. It's literally on the top shelf. Like nobody in the house can reach it, with the sole exception of Kelly can't even reach it. It's too high. So gun is in one place, ammo is in another place. It, nobody has access to any of this. You stuff.
1: realize, of course, you're telling potential intruders exactly where your gun is now.
0: Yeah, that's great. You can come and get it, and then I'll have it loaded for when you get upstairs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the adventures of Tommy never seem to stop, and you know what? I personally love it. You're into all kinds of trouble all the time.
0: I certainly do get myself into a a good deal of trouble.
1: All right, we have a new review, and this is going to lead into something that's happening, so are you ready for this, Tommy? Let's go. Okay, here we go. New review from, wait for it, Two Week Notice Podcast. (laughs) That is right. The host himself, Dana Boland, has said, outstanding show, five stars. Keith and Tommy are excellent hosts. Their back and forth prior to the interview is natural and sincere, and this dynamic carries over into their interviews. Wonderful guests. Keep up the great work, dudes. Thank you, Dana. And of course, I mentioned earlier in the show, our two-year anniversary show is premiering this Wednesday, March 9th at 9 a.m. Eastern. We have spoken to Dana Bolin. He is our guest for the show. He is celebrating with us. Tune in. The conversation is fantastic. There's a lot of great stories. We talk podcasting, we talk touring and performing with Piebald. It's great. You're not going to want to miss it.
0: Going to work on a kayak?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's good.
0: It's, it's good. Trust it, me. It's chock full of good stories.
1: Yes. So check it out. Celebrate two years with us. We're not going to get into too much fanfare now. We're going to save it for the two-year anniversary special. But look, we are the show that keeps giving because we don't have a Patreon, right? We're not charging for these extra episodes. We are taking the time to put them together to just give to you for nothing. I spent the whole weekend editing, not to be ahead of schedule, mind you, just to be on schedule. To give you these extra episodes, it is a labor of love. I am not berating you, audience. I am just reminding you once again uh, that we need your support, and you can support us by giving us reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and by buying the shirt. Hit the link tree in our Instagram and Twitter profiles. Everything is right there. Do it. Do it.
0: I agree. You should. <laughs> you should do it.
1: I like. I like to
0: stop to leave space for Tommy to jump in. I love when he just goes, I agree. I don't, I don't know what else to add to that. Like, it's just, there's nowhere to go with it. It's just,
1: Oh, but I, I know I just, I want to make the time for you, Tommy, because I care about you and I care about our show. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right, folks. Well, look, that's it. That's all we got for this one. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again in two days for our two year anniversary special. Ooh. So thanks everybody for listening.